So last Mother's Day, uh, we didn't have children to worship. It's pretty cool. Um, and um, we should pray for the team as they head out the door. That's a lot to manage. And I pray that Jesus gets worshiped and there's a lot of glory and um, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. So um, we're going to start looking today at 2nd and 3rd John, uh, two of the shortest books in the Bible, books you probably aren't uh, super familiar with, and uh, that's okay. Um, they uh, speak to us kind of about the nature of the church and uh, the value and the wonder of the church. And so I think that's important for us as we uh, take baby steps to emerge from where we've been uh, the last 14 months. Um, and when I say that, I certainly mean the pandemic, uh, but also all of the strife and difficulty, challenge, division, anger, bitterness that we've experienced uh, in uh, the last year, 14 months, 15 months. So it's, it's good for us to think a little bit about just who is the church, what is the church, and, and why bother, frankly. So uh, in light of that, let me pray, and then I'll uh, uh, read the text. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today thanking you, rejoicing in the goodness of um, our God, that you love us, that we're very dear to you. Uh, then, Lord, I pray for us today as we begin looking at uh, these words from uh, your servant that you would open us up and uh, bless us, give us grace. Uh, Lord, we, um, we confess to being fatigued and a little on edge and stressed and uh, oh, just all sorts of things, and yet uh, that does not repel you. Uh, in fact, it draws you uh, even more uh, to the sheep who wander about without a shepherd. And so would you uh, be our shepherd today by pressing on us your love and the truth of your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Second John, uh, verses 1 to 3, text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Uh, one day Jesus was talking with his disciples, and uh, as he was talking to them, uh, they were talking about the buzz and the hype that was going on out in the community about Jesus. This is back, you know, if, if Jesus didn't have a Facebook page, he didn't have a Twitter feed, and he didn't have Instagram, TikTok, or whatever ox, other, whatever all the other, the latest thing is, didn't have a phone. Uh, but people talked, just like they do. People talk, don't they? And they talk about what's going on and who's, who's uh, popular and, and, and who's the, the celebrities and that sort of thing, right? So that is, uh, Jesus is saying to them, you know, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? And so they're talking like, well, we've heard people say that you're like Elijah or John the Baptist come back. We, there's all sorts of talk out there about who Jesus is. And then Jesus gets a little more personal. He says, well, who do you say I am? 
which I'm sure that was a, a mo an awkward moment, right? I mean, what if I sat down with the elders on Monday night and said, who do you say I am? Uh, that would be weird, wouldn't it? I'm not Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's a, that's a good thing. So what he says, who do you think I am? And they, they without, uh, uh, Peter speaks up and says, uh, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Anytime Jesus gets excited, anytime Jesus becomes effusive, anytime Jesus says, wow, you got it, we should sit up and pay attention. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, I, may, I, I change your name to Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says that, right? That, now, there are many places in the Bible where we could go to see what is Jesus up to? What is it that he is doing? But the thing that we know for sure is that Jesus Christ takes the message of the gospel, the truth, and applies that to people's lives, not simply to save them, not simply to redeem them, not simply to, to uh, scoop up a few people on his way to heaven, but he does that for a purpose. And the purpose is this, to build the church. On that rock, I will build my church, my gathered body, my uh, uh, men and women, boys and girls who are joined together in my community, my body. And so one of the things that is hard for us in America and hard for us as Christians today is to think that really what Jesus is about is about uh, giving me my best life, giving me tips to have a better marriage, a better business, uh, 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 better children. And so that what he is doing there is he is simply rearranging the furniture in my life to make it uh, better. When really what we have here is the word of Jesus Christ himself saying to his disciples and saying to us that his point, the thing that he is doing is he is building a community. And through that community, he bears witness to the world. Through that community, the gospel gets preached. The hungry get fed. As we've already heard this morning, children get taught the good news. The, the, the community itself that Jesus is building, just by its very existence and its very witness, tells the world that Jesus is alive and at work and that he is the redeemer of his people and that this community matters. It has his attention. Now, it's important for us to, to, to see that as we look at this text today, because one of the things that happens to us is, and one of the things that we, we so often think is, is the church is just a, is a bother, or that the church is, is a product to consume, when in fact what it is, is the very body of Christ, the very embodiment of the work that Jesus Christ is doing in the flesh, in the world, in time, in space, in this society, in this culture, in this world today. Is it perfect? No. Does it struggle? Yes. But we have the very promise of Jesus Christ himself that the most powerful spiritual forces arrayed against it will fail will fail. 
Not because the church is great, not because we, we have great resources, not because we're smarter, better looking, more talented. No, but because we have the very promise of God, the very word of Jesus Christ himself, who has established the church, who has built us upon a rock that cannot change in a world of shifting sands. And he says that it will always be here and that when he returns, he will take his people to be with them because there will still be a church here. It's never going away. It may wax and wane. It may have difficulties and challenges, but the fact is, what we recognize is, is that this thing, the church, this body, this community, this group of people that Jesus is redeeming, uh, this entity is, has his attention, his eye, his care, and his concern. So let's look at this, this text. Now, as we begin to read here the, uh, uh, this morning, you put my notes up there. Way to go, AJ. Is that um, we, as, we, as we begin here, the, 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 we call this book Second uh, John, but what we read is, is that the writer identifies himself as the elder. Now, it's important for us to, to think a minute about that because uh, we as Presbyterians know that there are elders all over the church in the New Testament, right? That, that we read in 1 Timothy 3, we read in Titus 1 about the qualifications for, for elder, that Paul, wherever he went in the proclamation of the gospel, when he planted churches, he appointed elders in all of those churches. This is something different. Uh, this is a person who is identified as the elder, uh, and this person who is identified as the elder we, is not just someone who was an ordained officer in a local church, but is someone who's unique. There was, if you do a little research in the first and second century writings about the church, there were a group of people, and you can only imagine what this must have been like, that, that there were people as they grew older who had been with Jesus. Or there were people who had been with the very first generation of people who had been with Jesus. John, by this time, is probably getting close to 90 years old. He had walked with Jesus, talked with him, eaten with him, spent time with him, leaned up against him, touched him, right? And so he has a very unique perspective uh, over a period of time, not just of who Jesus was and not just of the stories and the things that he witnessed, but he had walked with Jesus. He had, he had a lifetime, literally decades, of the work of Jesus Christ in and through his life. And now as an older man, as an elder, as an elderly man, he bears a particular witness to the truth. Listen, I want to say something here. In North Carolina, where I grew up, rural North Carolina, one of the things that you, you know when you go to churches is that, especially in churches in small towns, that, um, that there's a great opportunity for gossip because everybody knows everybody's business. I've told the story before of the, the, the Sunday that my, the little church in East Tennessee where my family grew up, uh, my extended family, the pastor was going on and on and on one Sunday. I, we happened to be there about uh, temperance, the sin of drunkenness, and my Uncle Reuben stood up in the middle of the sermon while the preacher was preaching and said, all right, that's enough, it was me. You can talk about something else now. <laughs> That's some call and response, isn't it, right? <laughs> right? 
This is awesome. As, you know, as a, like an eight or nine-year-old, you're like, wow, this never happens in my boring Presbyterian church at home. This is awesome, right? We have been culturally conditioned to devalue older people. That's a problem. And I, I, I'm here to tell you that uh, I, I, you know, I used to think old people were weird until I became one, <laughs> right? They're strange. They're, they're just a kind of, a, 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 you know, you just got to just be with them and listen to them and that kind of stuff and just kind of tolerate them. But the real action in the church is, is, and, you know, the real life of the church is young people. Well, the real life of the church is young people. The real life of the church is middle-aged people. The real life of the church is kids. The real life of the church is old people. We're all in this together. And every one of us, Jesus loves and gives equal dignity and value. And each one of us, at whatever stage of life or development we find ourselves in, sin in unique ways. And, 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 but also has unique gifts and unique things to bring to bear in the enriching life that the church is. This morning, I got to pray on the sidewalk outside the church with um, a mother and the faith to me. And, you know, there aren't many of those left, right? Old enough to be my mom. What a rich thing that is. While her great-granddaughters were playing on the sidewalk. We need each other. We need the old people. We need the young people. We need the in-between people. We, we, and Jesus' vision uh, is for all of us to experience at whatever stage of life we are, his grace, his mercy, his truth, love. And we have something unique to offer one another in that. We need the patience to bear with one another and listen to one another. And please understand me today. I'm not saying that just because someone's older means they're wiser, because I know plenty of people who have gotten older and gotten stupider. <laughs> Honestly, right? But within the body of Christ, we have a place and a time where, where we can honor, where honor is for uh, each stage of life, and one is not better than the other or more important than the other. So here, this man who identifies himself as an older man who, who has a history of walking with Jesus for a lot of decades is able to say and speak the truth inspired by the Holy Spirit to this particular church, the elect lady. Who's the elect lady? Well, there are some people who think that's actually an individual. My tendency is to think that the language there, especially because he uh, uses the language in verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you, that he is using the language of elect lady to describe the church. That, and that's an important thing for us to understand because one of the ways we approach the church is, is that the church is something that we opt in or out of, even as Christians, Right? that we can opt into the body of Christ, we can opt into participating in the community that Jesus is building, or we can opt out of it. Because after all, it doesn't really matter about our eternal destiny, about whether or not we are part of a local church or not. The New Testament 
doesn't know what to make of that and does not, uh, that, that doesn't exist anywhere in the teaching that uh, we read here in, in the scriptures, right? The elect lady is, is our mother, right? And, and, and she is, she as the body of Christ, as, as the very church, as the bride of Christ, is elected by Jesus Christ himself. We, we don't opt into Jesus' body. We don't opt into his church. He opts us in. We would never awaken to the reality of our sin and death and destruction, except that Jesus, by his Spirit, opens us up to that and, and gives us his redemption, his grace, his life, his righteousness. We are here as a part of his body because Jesus wants us to be here as a part of his body. He has laid his hand upon us. He has said, you people, you're mine. You belong here. You belong to me. I belong to you. I chose you. You didn't choose me. That's such good news. Uh, because uh, my, I, I'm such a fickle person. You're such a fickle person. We, we roll in and we roll out, right? And we, we might even be tempted to take the gospel like we do another product, right? That we, might, that we might view it as something, well, you know, it's working for me today or it's working for me in this stage of life, but it's not working for me over here in this stage of life. So I'll just move on. Jesus has laid his hand upon us, and he's laid his hand upon us to form us not only into his image as individuals, but to form us into his image as a body. And we need one another, and we need his grace, we need his spirit, but we need one another to be in the midst of that, to, to, to see the, the fullness of what Jesus has for us. The church itself is a means whereby Jesus changes us, challenges us, shapes us more and more uh, into his likeness, right? He goes on here to say, not only is it the, to the elect lady that he loves in the truth, and not I only, but to all who know the truth. In fact, what he's indicating there is that we are a part of something local, certainly, but a part of something even bigger that's global, right? Because of the truth that abides in us, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Notice John loves the word truth. He loves in the truth. All those who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, will be with us forever. The truth matters to him. Because you see, the thing that unites the church, the thing that puts us together, uh, is not just that we tolerate one another, because that's, that's, you know, what is that? What, the, what, what unites us together is the common confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus Christ actually walked this earth, that he took on our flesh, lived a life we could never live, died the death that we deserved, rose again for our justification so that we know that we have our sins and our, our, our uh, uh, falsehoods and our uh, uh, brokenness healed once and for all, that we have his righteousness that our sin is forgiven, and that one day when all of the church is gathered before him, we will hear his commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, not because we've been that great or that good, but because Jesus chose us, laid his hand upon us, and we belong to him. The truth, you know, we hear these words today, I need you to hear my truth, right? 
And we certainly need to be patient. We certainly need to hear one another's stories. We certainly need to walk with one another in, in difficulty and faithfulness. But here's the thing. There is a truth, the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the life. And as his people, as his body, we bear witness to that in love, in patience, in kindness, in gentleness, in long-suffering, in forbearance, in difficulty, but that's the truth, and that is what unites us. And the truth here is united with love because you cannot have one without the other. The love of God is manifest to us not, not just because he receives us, but because of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has made a way for us, that he teaches us what the nature of human life is and what the nature of redemption is. We entrust ourselves to that truth. That truth is true. We, we uh, fail to grasp it. We fail to proclaim it. We often fail to bear witness to it in the way that we should. But the truth remains. The world shifts. The world shifts. Time shifts. The fashion shifts. But Jesus Christ is the same. His gospel, his truth, his sacrifice remains constant. And we need the church to help us with that. We need each other to help one another with that because otherwise we are uh, in trouble. You see what? Next slide, please, AJ. Because one of the things that he says here is that many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. We are all in danger of being deceived. We are all in danger of being misled by the truth. We're all in danger of, of falling away from that. And so what the church does... The, the ministry of the church in truth and in love is as we come together, as we live together, as we work together, we help each other with that. We rebuke one another. We encourage one another. We tell each other that, that Jesus is Lord and that he will see us through. And we have, we have a, 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 I loved Kevin's prayer this morning because in this room today, there are a million different kinds of people who've had experiences with their moms, Right? But that's a beautiful thing because to those who are here today grieving the loss of their mother, they're not the only ones. Those who are here today who are struggling with infertility, they're not the only ones. All, all, of, those, all of those experiences are a part of the church, and we can help each other by reminding each other of the work that Jesus Christ has for us in each one of those stages of life. Uh, in March of last year, we scrambled when uh, things shut down to start the, the live stream. And we've been doing it now for 14 months. Um, and um, it is a great gift. It is a tremendous thing that God has given us uh, to do that. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And the reason why it's dangerous is because, and not because sometimes the, <laughs> the connection fails or sometimes the sound isn't good or, or uh, uh, you know, I don't look as good on TV as I do in real life or, uh, which, you know, it, it, you probably are just wondering, like, what are these lights doing in these chairs? They're there to keep me from looking like a ghost on TV. 
right? Actually, it's to get a little sheen up here. Now, I don't know what it's for. But the, the fact of the matter is the temptation uh, with the live stream is, is big. Man, you know, let's, let's, we can go to church and, and never leave the living room, stay in our pajamas. But here's what I want you to understand about that. And, and I, I, I love you. Jesus loves you, but the live stream is not the church. You see, the temptation that we could have is that the church becomes a product to consume, not a community to enter. It's been a good gift. We're going to continue it for the time being because it's necessary for, it's still unsafe for many of our folks to, to come. And, and some people still uh, have uh, 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 real safety concerns and fears. And so we will, we will maintain that. But it is not a replacement for being together. It's not a replacement for being with one another. It is not a replacement for uh, the life that Jesus calls us to live together. Because here's the thing, we miss you. The church is not the church without the church. And it is dangerous for our souls and dangerous for our lives together if we are not with each other. Even when Jesus sent his disciples out on preaching missions, he made sure that there were two. We need each other. The witness of the church needs all of us. Uh, and that is uh, something uh, that he gives to us as our protection, uh, for our protection. Because the temptation to wander from the truth is strong and profound. And it doesn't happen usually all at once. It happens slowly over time. But when I am with my brothers and my sisters talking, arguing, rebuking, struggling, serving together, I'm protected. I'm in a safe place. And lastly, what Jesus says here is that grace, or that, that the elder says here is grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. You see, that is the, the, one of the things that we miss is, is that the church is the receptacle in a way and, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the thing that Jesus uses to pour out his grace upon our lives. The church itself uh, is a means of grace. It is one of the places, one of the ways that Jesus blesses us, just like his word is, just, just like prayer is. Those are ways that his grace gets to us. But by being with the body of Christ, being in the body of Christ is a way that uh, uh, the grace of God comes to me. It's a way that I experience it in time and in space with other people. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's good to be reminded of this. We, we arranged this room this way when we uh, bought the Best Products uh, showroom to turn into a church so that part of the focus here is not just on what's happening down front, but so that you can see each other a bit. 
because Jesus is at work in the lives and in the bodies of the folks in these seats. You need to see that and appreciate that with one another. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father. We experience that uh, together uh, as we gather, as we worship, as we serve, as we grieve, and as we celebrate. At every turn of life, every stage of life, and every place we uh, uh, exist as the people of God, the church has a role to play and a place for us. We don't do it perfectly, but the church is Jesus' idea, his blessing to you, his gift to me for our protection so that in time and in space, in our bodies, we experience his grace, his love, his mercy, and his truth. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to you today to celebrate the, the supper, I pray that you would bless us and help us. Uh, Lord, we, we confess to being fatigued and challenged and um, scared and angry and bitter, impatient. Um, and Lord, we confess that uh, we struggle with, uh, with people that uh, uh, are around us that we disagree with or uh, that uh, have disappointed us or uh, in so many ways. And yet, uh, uh, you call us to be a part of the church. You place us not as solitary individuals separated from one another, but in a body, your body. And so would you bless us today in that? Would you help us? We need your help. Uh, and as we come today to your supper, I, play, I pray that you would unite us uh, in the, uh, the truth and an appreciation and a worship of the love that is displayed to us in your broken body and poured out blood. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, let's confess our sins together by using uh, this confession of sin that's uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, all your loving kindness is in your Son. I bring him to you in the arms of faith. I urge his saving name as the one who died for me. I plead his blood to pay for my debts of wrong. Accept his worthiness for my unworthiness, his sinlessness for my transgression, his purity for my uncleanness, his sincerity for my guile, his truth for my deceits, his meekness for my pride, his constancy for my backslidings, his love for my enmity, his fullness for my emptiness, his faithfulness for my treachery, his obedience for my lawlessness, his glory for my shame, his devotedness for my waywardness, his holy life for my unchaste ways, his righteousness for my dead works, his death for my life. Amen.
believers hear these words of encouragement from 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so as we come to the table, hear these words of institution from Mark chapter 14. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As the scripture says, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he took a cup and he gave it to his disciples. Our celebration of the Lord's Supper is, is quite funny, actually, when you compare it to that first supper there in the upper room. We're very reverent. We're very quiet. We're afraid that someone might uh, interrupt our spiritual reverie as we come uh, to, the, to the table. Um, we like to sing, and it's a joyful thing, and all of those things are awesome. The first Lord's Supper was a train wreck. Just a train wreck. I'm the greatest. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite, right? They must have been filthy because before Jesus would eat with them, he had to wash their feet. One of you will betray me. Not me, it must be that guy. What a mess. What did it look like when they left? What were they thinking? And yet through it all, Jesus is very clear-eyed and very straightforward about what it is he is doing and what it is he is about to do for them. He will be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and they don't even know they need it. But not only that, he takes those men, and by washing their feet, giving them the supper, and dying their death for them, he binds them together. through their messiness, through their pride, through their cluelessness. Jesus loves them enough to give them not only his body and his blood, not only his sacrifice, his righteousness, and his grace, but he gives them each other. What a gift. You see, that's what the gospel does, is the gospel transforms us into not just better people, but a community of redeemed sinners. And that's what we celebrate. When we come to the Lord's table and we eat this bread and we drink this cup, one of the reasons why we hold it and we eat it together and we drink it together is to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the center of our faith. And for all our differences and all of the things that, that might drive us apart and all our impatiences and all of those things with one another, this is what binds us together. Jesus Christ loves us and died for us. And he 
gives us this opportunity to celebrate and declare again to the world that our sins are forgiven, that we declare his death until he comes, and that we do that together as his people, that we belong to him, but we belong to one another as well. And so as the elders get ready to, to come, or as they come forward to assist me today, let me tell you that if you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other place to turn, no other righteousness except what Jesus Christ has earned for you, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you today. He knows your struggle. He knows your temptation to coldness. He knows the difficulty of your life, and yet here he is reminding you yet again that he nourishes you, that he nurtures you in this body with his body. And that's great news for us today. Now, a couple of practical matters. One is, um, maybe this is the first time you've been back in church in a while and you, uh, you're scared to death to come up here because it looks weird and it's confusing. So uh, let me affirm your fears. And uh, let, let, me, let me say to you that Jesus uh, is patient. And one of the things that the Word of God says to us uh, about taking the Lord's Supper is that when we come together to do this, we wait on one another. I didn't make that up. He says that. So, uh, you'll notice that there is gluten-free wafer and juice in our uh, unique little stacked way here, two cups with juice on top and a wafer in the bottom. We have that over here too for gluten-free with wine. And in the middle, we have the pre-packaged juice and uh, wheat flour wafer. Confusing, you've already forgotten it. So when you come forward to take the elements, take your time, Look at what's on the table, read the signs, and if you're still confused, ask one of these elders and they will help you uh, in their confusion. Listen, we're in this together. And this is a way for us to love one another and to care for one another as we do this. Take the elements back to your seats, and as you do that, hold them until uh, we're done uh, with the singing, and I will come up and lead us into eating and drinking together. That's a lot, I know. But one of the things that's great today as we prepare to uh, come forward to uh, take the Lord's Supper is we get to celebrate the very work of God in our community. Uh, we we uh, look to God to be faithful to our families and to our children, uh, to see our kids uh, come to, uh, to, to faith in Christ. And so Elliot Bassett recently, a child of our church, recently met with the elders, professed his faith. And so it's a great day to celebrate that, the work of God in and among our lives, that one of our kids uh, professes faith. And so in light of that, uh, the Bassett family will lead us. They'll be the first uh, to come forward and uh, to lead us in uh, taking the Lord's Supper this morning.